everybody, this is uh, Dave Cohen of Guitar Tales, and we are doing our fireside chats. I think we're probably around the seventh or eighth episode of our fireside chats. We've got two guests with us today. Uh, we've got Joe Barricada, and we've also got Michael Deegan. Uh, you guys just recorded an absolutely fabulous song, um, Kindness. And I was telling uh, Joe earlier that I can't get it out of my head. Oh, that's great. And, and it's, you know, it's a couple of things. First of all, the song is great. Um, second of all, the message is, is apropos of the times we're living in and hopefully exiting from. And it's, it's really, you know, like I, I was talking to Joe earlier, it's a do unto others, right? I mean, just if you put out kindness, you get kindness back. You don't put yeah. out kindness, you know, you get something else back. Um, but so, so Joe, you wrote the song, and, and you play most of the instruments, but you called your old buddy in to play some amazing sax work on it, right? Yes, I, I wrote the song a year ago, and, and Mike doesn't know this. When I wrote the song, I envisioned Mike doing some kind of horn on it anyway. But um, I did have my friend Rich Gertler play piano, and um, Kelly Nolan sang the ooze, the background vocal, but it was pretty much done, and I know how busy Mike is, and I just sent him a random text going, Mike, uh, you think you might want to lay down a track? And he said, absolutely. But it, and, it, um, I think Mike just said, what vibe are you looking for? And uh, that was it. Well, the, song should, the song should usually tell you what it wants you to do. Yeah. So you oh, go absolutely. into it. So what's the process for you, Mike, when you go in like that? Because I understand you came in, and most of the tracks were down already, right? Like oh yeah, I, I was the last. I was the last thing. I, I think my my job as a soloist is to. I would say use silence as my most powerful tool, mm. especially in pop music. Right. Pop music, pop music. The art of playing a solo over pop music or rock music is to tell the best simplest story that you can that goes from point a to point b in eight measures mm, that's pretty cool yeah it because the singer's taking care of telling the story right the musicians are filling all the holes and laying down the groove and making you unconsciously move and the soloist job is just to add that little bit of flavor on top of it without ever stepping on anyone's toes you know what I love? What you just said brings no ego to the game. You're, you're, you're about the whole product as opposed to you, which is really nice. You know, oh, I didn't even see that. <laughs> I was wondering why you were moving the camera just now. Too much oh. ego will kill your talent. Mm. <laughs> well, Mike, I remember, I remember you saying, like, what are you looking for? And I was like, Englishman in New York. And I go, just dance around my vocals. And you're like, OK. <laughs> yeah. That's and, and I like the comment about, you know, and you hear it with, with some of the best artists, you know, like you were talking about using silence, right? Yeah. You know, There's an incredible amount of power in a pause. Right. You know, right. you don't need to. And a, I think a, it's a very funny um, symptom of horn players is to try to go for that high thing when when actually the most important thing is just the rhythm that you're playing around with. Right. You know, right. If we're playing, if we're playing straight ahead jazz, you have so much more time to tell your story, but you know, in a pop song, it's all about just laying down 
something that has like a symbiotic relationship with the singer's melodies. Right, and, and by, by timing what you're doing, you're making the singer, the guitar player, the drummer, the keyboard player sound better because you're picking where you're either going to accentuate something they did or, or let them shine in that moment because you'll come in the next moment. Sure, yeah. That's, that, you know, that's it, really cool. It's great that you know Mike's talking about simplicity because the song is really one chord progression with an added extra chord in the chorus. And I remember writing it a few months ago. I worked on it whatever night. And if you notice, it breaks every time before another vocal comes in. So it breaks and it lets those, so this, the song's constantly, it's extremely simple song, but there's a lot going on in there. And I noticed a lot of times some of the best songs are the simplest songs. I mean, obviously Rush has, and certain bands have been able to write progressive rock commercial songs, but right. you know, simplicity is always key. And a lot of, you know, one thing Mike does great and Mike's done gig, gigs with us. And, and again, I can rip on the guitar, you know, and Mike can rip on the horn, but you know, simplicity is key in being tasteful. So yeah, like, yeah, don't it can ruin that. a song if you're not being tasteful. Yeah, don't play jazz over a, over a pop song. Right, mm -hmm. right. You know, I, I always wanted to do Eddie Van Halen taps during a Bruce song, but I might get rock starred out. It might not sound <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's man. funny. You know, that's ice cream and chili flakes. Yeah. Just don't go. Yeah, that, yeah, that wouldn't, that, no, that's no, a good I've, I've never even like tried that. it. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good metaphor. Now, how, how have you guys, or how did you guys meet, and, you know, how have you known each other over the years? We met through my, um, my, you know, my, my crew, my closest friends, they have a place down in Avon every summer. And I'm usually gone every summer. Um, and then, touring, right? yeah. And then when I would come home, I, you know, you want to hang out with your people. So I go down and meet them. And then they would always inevitably end up, they got, they, they became friends and, and, and great fans of, of Joey and Saxman and the guys. And uh, they would always hang out at the boathouse. So that's where I that's where I ended up meeting them. Oh, that's great! I think I, I came remember out, that. I think I came out and and jammed you guys up one night. That was that I, night. I remember. I that. just showed up after a gig and I had my horn. I was like, "You mind?" At least oh, I, that's I, remember, I asked. You remember what I said to you? I remember that night. You know, Mike came in with the whole crew and and um, Cassie said, "You know, who Mike is," and I. Oh, did you ever meet Mike? I said, no, but I, I knew who Mike was because we were actually on a gig once in downtown and I knew other bands he played with. And it was funny because Mike's like, we, we're like this with anyone, by the way, but someone like Mike that, you know, I knew was a great player. Mike was like, you mind if I sit in? I was like, do whatever you want. <laughs> I think we jammed. Oh, that's that great. great time. Yeah, <laughs> and Mike, I understand you've played with some uh, pretty serious folks out there. I don't, I don't know who's more impressive, the president or uh, Aerosmith, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'd go for Aerosmith. I don't I'll even tell know what you what, man. I'll tell you what. I mean, listen, I know that we're 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 in a very, very political hotbed these days. And and the one thing that I could say about the Clintons as oh, is much, that who you play for? Okay. As much as people wanna, you know, listen, you feel the way you feel about your politics, but you're not gonna find anybody who did not like to hang around this guy. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Because because it was I mean, I've even read many articles about him where world leaders who just did not, did, just didn't agree with his, yeah. his politics were just like, but, but man, I really enjoyed hanging out with him and having dinner. 
And, so, uh, give us the context. How did this happen? The context all, was. Um, he's a shit, let me just hold on. He's a shitty saxophone player, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, man. But but I mean, <laughs> he just pulled that. Uh, he pulled that rabbit out of his hat at the last okay. minute. And I gotta say that rabbit (laughs) did pretty well. Yeah, sunglasses on him, and he he got you know he pulled he 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 locked in with a lot of people on that, but it humanized him. Um, Yeah, way that happened was there's an artist uh, named Pat McGee, um, Warner Brothers artist. He's been one of my closest friends and musical colleagues for about 25 years. I met them when I lived in Richmond, Virginia, where they're out of, and. I lived in DC for three years and Pat, I guess one of the guys on Clinton's staff was a huge fan of Pat McGee. Okay. And um, we played basically the white house for the, for the end of term, the second term for the Clintons, um, Clinton, Al Gore, John Podesta, chief of staff, they hired, they, they rented out and shut down the nine thirty club. Oh, I've been, is, I've been there many is, times. Yeah. Which is DC's version of Irving Plaza. Yep. And, and, um, you know, and basically they just shut down this great rock and roll club for the entire White House Clinton administration staff. Oh, that's a great gig. Yeah. yeah. And, that's very um, cool. So we, but the way, what's funny about it was we really, we didn't expect them to show. The place was raftered, Secret Service, everything. It was, it was out of yes. the movie. And we're up there and we're playing the set and people are just, they're partying. And we finally come to the realization that they're not going to show up. The Gores aren't going to show up. John Podesta is there. And then, so we start, we start getting into it. We start having a few drinks and, and, and really playing a, sh- playing a concert. Right. And, uh, and they show up. They all showed up. And I had this moment of a window of about 10 minutes. And Bill just pointed at me and was just like, let me see that horn. And we just had 10 minutes of talking. Before the wow. man, it was crazy, and he was one of, the, super cool. one of the most just cool, gracious people I've ever met. You know, it's funny. On that note, you always hear people do business with people they like, and even even when, and you know, even when Bush ran against Al Gore, people wanted to hang out with Bush and drink with him. Yep. Yeah. Certain he was people have those kind of personalities. Oh. Yep. So when did you live in D.C.? Say again. What years did you live in D.C.? I, I was in D.C from 97 to right before 2000 and that's when i moved to la uh so i was going to ask if you, you didn't overlap with gogo then dc gogo music no but i'm very familiar michelle and michelle and deggio cello is one of my favorite artists in the world and she was huge on that gogo i'm very familiar with that gogo scene yeah uh, chuck brown was one of them mm-hmm. and um Junkyard Band, you ever see the Junkyard Band? No. Oh, fabulous, fabulous stuff. <laughs> I'm a big fan of DC. Though. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, DC, for, for all, its, all its fantastic attributes, it wasn't a music scene except for that. And yep. it also had this really underground jazz scene. Yep, they had all that. Yeah. Yep. I played the Thurston Block Party uh, about two blocks from the White House. Nice. When I was in college. Uh, with my shitty college band. Um, so, so um, you you played for the president. I didn't, and I, when that question came up, I didn't know which one. 
And then you you toured with um, Elton John, Aero, I got my notes. Elton John, Aerosmith, and there's a bunch of TV stuff. What led to that? Um, the TV stuff, well, I got, I just, I, I guess I can always say that the, the right place in the right time plays a lot. When I, I went to Rutgers, uh, I went to Mason Gross. And when I was a senior, when I was 20, uh, my mom got a phone, you know, we didn't have cell phones. So my mom got a phone call and she was like, you have to be in the city for an audition. And I was like, well, what's it for? She goes, I don't know. I just go to the city. Is that and, her you know, voice? I kind of like that. Yeah, it's great. It's pretty great. Um, and so I went to the city and I didn't know it was a, it was a, like a quiet audition for Elton John. Wow. And I guess, and <clears throat> what I found out was I had just done like my first record, somebody else's record, but I was pictured on the cover. Like okay. the band was on the cover and I didn't know, I didn't know any of this. Yeah. So I show up and th these people are just like, okay, go in front of that screen. We're going to take a bunch of pictures, take some video, please play, play this, play that. And I was just like, okay, but I was like, can you, what is this for? And then they're like, um, we'll call you. And then just, I got shuffled out of the door. And the next day they were just like, oh, you got the gig. I was like, what gig? And it was for, they, they were like, beyond this television set where it's for Elton John. You're going to wow. be filming. Wow. It was great. I spent like a week with them. And we filmed, uh, it was actually a really big deal. Remember that Coca-Cola commercial that ha it had like Marilyn Monroe and Humphrey Bogart. It was like the first CGI commercial. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was this giant production. And we were there for a while doing that. And I was the sax player, and it was really great. It was, it was. Oh, so you were not just audio; you were on camera. Yeah, that's yeah, probably that's, on YouTube too, right? It Mike? was really cool. I haven't, I haven't ever looked for it, but yeah, that was. I think you know, never looked was, for that. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> it was super cool. But it was one of those things where it's like I went right from that back to school, back to class, back to doing weddings, back to doing gigs for no money, back to. That's just the way it goes, man. It goes. Yeah. And then, and then Aerosmith, how did you get connected with that? Um, Aerosmith was a summer tour. Like one summer it was Pat McGee and Aerosmith. And one summer it was uh, uh, kind of the same lineup. And then the Aerosmith got switched for Allman Brothers. So we did, we, did, we did a lot of great like summer tours, like shed tours, like the PNC would be, or Wolf Trap. And we oh, sold I out, love Wolf yeah, Trap. Yeah, we sold out Wolf Trap a bunch of times. Now, with, with, in what, so when you say we sold out Wolf Trap, is that you with your band opening for them? Or yeah, that was Pat McGee. Pat McGee okay. and Aerosmith were on tour and then uh, with the Allman Brothers. But then after, because my, my way of going wasn't, I didn't ever want to, like, Joey's a leader. He's a band leader. I never wanted to be in a band. Okay. I never wanted to be, I never wanted to have a band. I wanted to be myself as a, like, I'm a trained seal. You know, I, I do what I do with the sax and keys and, and vocals, guitar, whatever, whatever you need me to do. But I never wanted to be in a band okay. um, because I wanted to have my options. I wanted diversity. Are you married? Is that your deal? Are you single because you don't want, you want your no, options? No, no, that's a, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> another, that's another Zoom meeting. Oh, that's funny. Um, that's funny. I'm going to put my Kevlar vest on. Yeah, right uh, but yeah, there's been a lot of, a lot of, I've been very, very lucky. You know, it, it, I think that stuff as a side man, which is what I am, I'm a soloist right. and it took a long time to figure out exactly what your role is. And, and once you 
kind of weed out what your weaknesses are and figure out what your strengths are, it becomes, the path becomes a lot more clear. So like, you know, the Tim, Justin Timberlake gig and, and Elton, you know, all these, all these pop things, super tramp. It's, it's kind of having a goal, focusing on it and making sure you're there early, stay late and learn everybody's parts on every instrument. That's perfect. right. And then you're there to make everyone else look good. My, my job is to make the, 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 the guys who's, who's, whoever's name is on the marquee, my job is to prop them up and right, make them right, sound right. as great as they can. And also, realistically, make myself irreplaceable. Right, right, right. right. And that's by the getting there early, staying late, working hard. That's it. Learn everybody's parts on every instrument. Right. So you let's know it's great. Yeah. And Dave, I, I think this ties into what Mike's talking about. Uh, Mike, who is the guy that took over the Tonight Show? Not the main horn player. There was another guy. Um, after Doc, you mean? Not after Doc, because it was Bradford Marsalis. Who took, Bradford who, who, took, who took over after him? The name escapes me, but he wrote a book called No Traffic on the, on the Extra Mile. Oh, guitarist. And, yeah, what was his name? Oh, I'll think of it. I'll think of it. Inside, as, too. as soon as we stop. You don't, but, mean um, from, you don't mean from bass, the roots. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll text you guys when we're done. But my bass player gave me that book because he knew I was into like personal development books and stuff like that. And I think he bought it for a dollar. And that was one of the best books I read, number one, because it's the music business. And really? what, he, what he spoke about was how, how if you do things the right way in life, which ties into the song, yeah. your connections grow. And I think Mike had a career like that because Mike's a nice guy. And and he spoke about great musicians that were just not nice people that wouldn't get gigs. Yeah. And then there were musicians that understood, you know, how to, how to have people skills. Yes. But that book incredible because, you know, talking about going the extra mile, and it's a great quote, too. There's no traffic on the extra mile. That, that yeah. is a great quote. You know, yeah. I, this, this adage was put into my, into my brain early by someone. I can't remember who said it, but... The bottom line was, and this was before I really experienced touring in close quarters. All uh, right. Yeah. And it was, you got two choices on who you want to be. You can have a room full of musicians who all know each other, and they know that there's one of two people coming in to fill that, that last role. And you could bring in the... I'm only using him as an example. You could bring in the Yo-Yo Ma of just the, the ultimate player, just the virtuoso player. But that virtuoso player is a dick. Right. Male or female. And, or you could bring in the stunningly great, solid player who basically is right there with that other person, but not a celebrity. And, and they walk into a room and everybody goes, hey, you know, it's like Norm from Cheers walks in the room. You right, want right. to be that person. Yep. You want to be, because yeah. when you're living on a tour bus and you're driving 12 to 16 hours a night, country to country in Europe, and everyone's in each other's faces 24 hours a day at some point, you have no space, you have to be invisible. That makes perfect sense. You know, we call that in, in our band, and, and I, it took me years to understand. You know, it took me a long time to understand, like, as I used to be the kind of musician where 
I was so intense. And if, and if I didn't feel a musician was on my level, I wouldn't play with them. You know, like I was I, to word, to use the word Mike use, I was a dick in my twenties. And then <laughs> as I realized, you know, I had a regular job, I was a mailman and I couldn't stand the bosses. They treated me like shit. So it started to dawn on me, like the hang factor means more than the musicianship in a band. Like for me, a band leader, if I'm looking to hire someone in a band, I might, I can have someone that's looking to join my band that, like Mike says, might be the greatest player in the world, but if they're a dick, I'd rather take someone that's good. They might not be, you know, world play, oh, the greatest, but I'd rather, I'd rather have someone in the band that I want to hang out with every day. You know, and, and that is universally applicable um, in any field. I'm a lawyer. I'd rather be partners or have an adversary who's a decent yeah. person. And, and even in trial, if, you know, if I'm relatable, and I'm nice, that, 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 that's relatable to my jury. That's relatable to my judge. Absolutely. You know, and the technical and, uh, skills, that's only a small piece of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's all so about, David, uh, or as David, they would it's, say, it's, it's all yeah, about the hang. It's all about the hang, right. Dave, is it true that old lawyers want to be rock stars, really? Yes. Yes, yes it's true. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know what? No, I'll, I'll qualify that. It's all litigators. You know, that, that there's a certain <laughs> personality of a litigator. If you're a transactional attorney, you're kind of mellow. You're like an accountant. But if you're a litigator, you like to be in front of people. You like to speak. You like to be a, you know, I'm on stage as a lawyer. I, you know, I'll get a lecture to a few hundred lawyers and I'm comfortable doing that, which is when, when you have a good speech, I, I just gave with my partner, we just gave a, go, a couple of speaking gigs at um, New York Law School by 150 lawyers listening to us. And if it goes well, which it did the last couple of times, it's a set. I haven't done stage like you guys. I've done little stuff like college, but I would imagine it's a similar feeling that you get a bit of a high. If, if you're on, you, you, you conveyed the message that you want to convey to people. You feel good. You get a lot of positive energy back from the crowd and it's very positive. So yeah, there, there's a lot of parallels there. I'd rather be a rock star. Absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you're a try, if you're in try, if you're a trial lawyer, you are an entertainer. Yeah. And the and the and the better suited you are mm -hmm. to entertain people and really grab their attention and and tap into their emotions, then. And I'll even take it a step farther. Um, just like being a musician, if you're that was a burp I saw. Yes. Um, I had a few today. Um, but as a lawyer, I have to be honest and organic because I'm not relatable. In other words, I never want to convey a message that isn't sincere. So I, you know, and just like in music, you know, you guys have to be sincere. Your music has to be real. It has to be organic. Just like this conversation has to be, or it's not good. You know, we're not coming in with a script. We're not planning anything. We're having honest conversation. And I think with a lawyer, um, if we're presenting, if we don't believe what we're saying, I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't pass muster with the jury. You know, and it, and it doesn't. You know. Gotcha. Yeah. And it, so it, it, all these things are universally applicable. It's pretty cool. I think that goes a long way, and and Joe knows this better than anyone because it's how you build your following. Um, if you're, if you're honest, if you're an honest player and an honest singer, 
people are going to know it. If you're not, they are going to smell it within two minutes. Yeah. They're going to know you're dialing it in. They know when you're phoning it in, yeah. I know when you're phoning it in, for sure. You know, it's funny, and that, that's a challenge, I think, of being a performer because, you know, we all know this because anything you do a lot, again, like, you know, Mike said he likes diversity, and, and that's awesome. So if he's touring next summer, he's probably playing a different set of music. What I had to learn over the years is there's, a, there's some staples, and Mike could laugh because he's played with our band and many bands around here, American Girl, Rosalita, blah, 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 that you always play. So I used to hate playing certain songs until I realized, I remember saying to myself, wait a minute, from a songwriter perspective, I didn't have to write this song. I did not have to write this song. I just have to perform it. And I, get, I can get paid for playing American Girl every mm. time I play it. So it, it taught me to enjoy the songs. Because I, I went through a period in the cover band scene where I really got sick of doing it. I mean, I, you know, I liked going out and having a few drinks and everything, but I wasn't satisfied musically anymore. Like, I was just like, I felt like I was at a dead end. I wasn't recording original music. My original music never took off. But I have a totally different, and thank God I have this attitude to where, like, I enjoy the songs that get a reaction. So even when I'm sitting down with someone I'm doing a private event for and they pick songs they want and they say they hate so-and-so song, I might say to them, like, keep in mind, like, you might hate that song, but the other 150 guests that are there are probably going to go crazy. And um, so I've learned to not take personal what cover songs I'm playing. Now, with an original song, it's different. I mean, like this song I never played live or most of my other originals I never did. And I always wondered, like a Van Halen, like when I see them playing Talking About Love, I'm like, aren't they sick of that song yet? <laughs> you know, it's like, Maybe they are. There's so many good B-side songs they can play, or any, any band for that matter. Yeah. Oh, they must be. I mean, that's a good point, David. Maybe they are. But I'll tell you what, if I'm... If I'm going to see Sting, who is, you know, one of my heroes, right? then, and he said this, he's just like, I feel an obligation to play Roxanne because they want to hear that. They want to hear Message to Ball. I wrote these, you know, these muscular songs came to me and I put them out there and that's what they want to hear. I'm going to throw in something new. I'm going to, I might play something from my, 16th century loot music album <laughs> but whatever right. like i'm gonna give them the meat and potatoes because that's what you go to see paul simon man you're gonna want to hear 50 ways yeah it's true yeah and that's what that's and why it, they call it popular music because those right. are the songs that are popular and it comes back to what joe's saying it, it's a mindset you know um and and, it, and if you don't have the current joe mindset there will not be positive energy flowing back from stage to audience and back to stage, I would think. You know, if you're not appreciative of the fact that you get to play, whether it's you're in a cover band playing a song, and, oh my God, I get paid to play music, you know. Attitude. Yep, yeah. Or if you wrote it, oh my God, I get paid to write a song I wrote. Like, either one is great. And, mm -hmm. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, we, a, lot of, a lot of us, forget that we're in the service industry right 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 and i'm reminded every damn day that i work in the service industry i am servicing the happiness hopefully of other people right by That's doing great. what i selfishly love to do right 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 and and you know like we think about what's the expression the customer is always right 
And it's it's a very tough job, David. It's, it's I'll tell you what, David, I am not I am not going to give the customer that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my field uh, within reason. Yeah. You know, it's funny. That's what we were talking about. We were talking about that earlier, Mike. Where when you do a gig, I mean, Mike's played in front of massive audiences. But when you do a gig and the energy, the high you get from a gig, that next gig you're looking for that same high, like a drug, like like a heroin addict. And it's it's such a crazy thing because um, I was saying, Mike, how 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 playing live, it's a roller coaster. You might go from the greatest gig in the world to the next gig is like totally laid back. And and again, that's where your mindset comes in to um, you know to keep that performance going. And there's there's some I've seen some great bands, you know, whatever their name. I've seen some really good bands play in front of. 300 people and then three people and it had the same energy. And it always impressed me. That's the way it should be. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love small. I love intimate acoustic. If I had my druthers, I would spend the rest of my life playing for 60 people. Yeah. In a room that sounds perfect. Right, right. You where know? you can hear that one little reaction where someone's appreciating something subtle that you just did. Yep. I want the stage to be six inches. Yeah. Ground. Everyone is comfortably seated. Everyone has a view of the artist, and and there is perfect sound. Sixty people. Perfect. What's your favorite this, club? This like, club? club? Yeah. Or yeah, like or what's venue? Just venue. I mean, there have been so many. I mean, but what fits that paradigm? You know, in this region, what's what's a venue that sort of fits that paradigm? Well, for me, it's a little different because I don't play with a band. Right. I'm either doing the sax keys vocal thing with somebody or just doing sax. But my favorite thing to do when I'm home is this little club in Fairhaven called Naboo. Okay. And it's where basically, <laughs> it's where basically I sit at the piano and have some espresso martinis and heckle my audience for three hours. Oh, that's great. I'm a big espresso martini fan. Yeah. That is so what that's basically doing. what it is, is I sit around and lovingly abuse my audience. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I, fi I finally got to see you this winter. <laughs> yeah. Came out for date night. So yeah. It, which is the bigger in the wine? Be more sax, more keyboard? What, what is both? Um, you know what? It's... I grew up playing saxophone. Keyboards came as an adult, but I became so obsessed with them that, you know, same level. Keyboards, Hammond organ, they're just, that's what I do. Right. So I'll, I'll just do completely different personalities. I'll go out and do the piano, you know, the piano singer guy. And then if we're on tour, it's, you know, it's sax, piano, singing, harmonica, you know, whatever, whatever it calls for. And what kind of gigs have you guys done together? Um, aside from the gigs that Mike came up and just jammed, I mean, we played the columns together. Mike's played at some local bars. He's done a he's done a few weddings with us. Mm -hmm. Mike actually has done weddings as a sax player, and he did one wedding as a piano player, which oh, just cool. shows you like, and um, you know, I mean, both all the weddings were phenomenal. There's a few videos of us with Mike, you know, in the crowd and. Um, I remember we did one video, Mike, that was probably, that was almost like a Houdini trick where it was a five hour wedding and it was right next door to Nauvoo, the place he was talking about. Oh yeah. 
And literally, I don't think you missed a song. It's like when we went on a break, Mike went to Napa and sang songs. And then we're just about to go on. I looked to my right, and Mike's like, ready? Yeah, I double, was, book, I double booked the night. Because, oh, wow. Oh, that's a great story. You know the, uh, you know the, the place, that, uh, fantastic restaurant, The Raven and the Peach? In, uh, it's just a place in Fairhaven. And, and this restaurateur owns these two places. And The Raven right. and the Peach is, is, a, is you know, like a four-star. It's fine dining. And Nauvoo is just this super great, weird, I mean, it's, you're in a ski lodge in Fairhaven. Okay. So it's this weird vibe with a giant fireplace and a, there are no piano lounges left. Right, right. Where, where just, you know, comfy leather chairs and, and a great bar. And, and so that's like the vibe. And, uh, and, and Joe had this marathon wedding booked across the street. And I was like, yeah, it's a mile from my house. I'll, but, but what I'm going to do is I already had this other geek book. So I was like, I'm going to basically run back and forth across the street and do <laughs> That that's like out of some kind of like like some kind of Neil Simon movie. Hey Dave, <laughs> I I've never asked Mike this question. Mike, you know me as a band leader. Any band leader at a wedding, they're like, like, what did you think when you texted me that I was thinking? Because I was like, how the hell is he gonna pull this off? Like, holy shit! Well, I built in a back. I built in a back door to it. <laughs> and what I did was I hired another artist. Yes, Scott Elk, right? Be there in case your wedding demanded something different of us that I had covered. That's pretty cool. So it was no skin off my back. Two people got made money that night. Yeah. And, yeah. and the audience was entertained in both places. Yeah. Well, that been wedding great. was one of the best weddings of the year too. I mean, from the second we went on the dance floor, Mike was out there with the other horn players and we had such a great time. That was fun. It would yeah, be it was great a great time. footage of uh, security cameras to see you going back and forth across the street. <laughs> Sweaty guy in the parking lot. Yeah, probably in a tux, right? Never. No? No? No. That was probably at first. Yeah, we don't wear tux, just black suits. Oh, okay. And what, what about you, Mike? What, do you, like, if, for a gig like that, do you wear anything in particular or you just wear what you wear? Speaking for my, no, um, I'm... Like my friends, my, my close people know that I am, I have my own style, but I take clothes maybe a little too seriously. So okay. I, I dress for the gig. Oh, okay. All right. So you I do. dress for the gig. I always dress for the gig. Right. And that's part of the being a responsible professional that you're talking about. Listen, if people are going to come out and see you on stage, you better represent yourself. Right. Don't act like you're there by mistake. Right, right. Or that it's a hassle to be there. You know, people should leave there going, people should leave your gig telling six people, I can't believe what I just saw. Right, right. And, that, and that's what keeps people like Joe so busy, keeps people like you so busy, right? The proof is in the pudding. It, it, it's really a cool theme that I've been getting, you know, because we've had the show on, I guess, about 15 months or so. And the people who are successful, they're, they're fun-loving people. They're partiers. But when it comes to the business, they take it very seriously. And they do it right. You know, business is, business is completely separate from your personal feelings towards it. Yeah. You, like I said, and this goes back to the service industry comment. Yeah. We're not, listen, there becomes a point where, hopefully, in your artistic career, you get to be selfish in a way 
but you're never allowed to be more selfish than the needs of your fans or your products. Right. And never, I would imagine, never crossing that line into being self-indulgent, right? Or, or not. Well, I mean, sometimes are we talking about in your musical choices, in your, because I think, because one of the great things about artists are that they are a little out there. They are a little crazy. They are, they stick their foot in their mouth. I mean, I'll, let's, Brian Kirk is, is the reason I moved back to the East Coast. He's, he's one of my best friends. I was, in, we were, I was in his wedding. He's, uh, we were together most of the day today. He is probably one of the top three entertainers I, I, I know. Okay. Of anyone I've ever worked with. Because okay. he has the ability to go on stage and draw in a couple right. thousand people, stick his foot as far into his mouth as he can by saying the wrong thing, <laughs> and then win everybody back. Right. <clears throat> but is there, unique, Brian. is there a tension as an artist between you know, what we're talking about, being professional, giving, you know, having the positive attitude about the song that maybe artistically, yeah, I'm reminding myself in the back of my head that, you know, this is great. I'm getting paid to play music, but I fucking hate this song, right? And, and you're balancing all that, right? <clears throat> So when you when you have the mindset where you're you know you, you're being the, the consummate professional, you care more about your audience than yourself, but you have that artistic impulse. I wanna I wanna do this to this song because it will give me artistic satisfaction. Is it ever at the expense of being the professional in terms of giving the audience that which they are expecting and that which at least they think they want? Or are you the artist who says they think they want that? But I know they'll be more nourished by my music if I do this. You know, are those tensions there? That's that's the question for Mr. Barracotta because it's perfect question for him because he's not only a self-indulgent shredder, which is <laughs> part of the way you grew up, but now you are the band leader. Well, it's funny. It's funny you say that, Mike, because when I first came on the scene like 20 years ago. I wasn't doing that many guitar solos because I just figured it wouldn't go over. And then I saw other bands and I was like, all right, time to rip up and get my crybaby going. But there's this, you know, we, we obviously do Uptown Funk and, and Mike. I think one of the best jams I had in that song, like where it breaks down, I always, I just, you know, again, I'm the band leader, I guess if I want to call it and it works. I go into a solo there. It's in D minor. It's a great key for a guitar player, but it's always a good back and forth with, the horn player and I remember Mike did a columns gig with us and even though we had tons of people partying and drinking and dancing I mean me and Mike probably went back and forth for like three minutes that night and there is an audience for musicians out there which is great even in a party scene like the Jersey right. Shore so I mean listen especially sax players like and I, Mike I give anything and, and the sax man was teaching me I learned how to do a C scale and I was like I don't know if I'm down for learning a whole new instrument even though I can play drums and other things but nobody gets love like a sax player. It's, it's the, um, I always, I sort of laugh when we do certain gigs because the next day I'll say, wow, they, they really dug my guitar solos tonight. And they didn't mind if I stepped on the sax a little bit. And then there's some nights where I'll go into a solo and I can see kids look at me with a beer going, ah, we, we want the sax player. Oh, <laughs> and that's... I'm like, all right, ten, tonight's all about the sax and I don't even touch the guitar. <laughs> that's because they love Rich because that guy is he's magic. Yeah, oh, without a doubt, they love Rich. But even when you play, I mean, just the instrument itself, it's... Uh, there is, I'll tell you what, uh, 
I mean, I hated carrying that thing to school when I was a kid, but but my dad was right. He was right. It did, it took it, it took <laughs> until I was you know in my late teens, early twenties until I was like, oh, I get it now. Oh, that's pretty cool. I get it now. Well, um, just like uh, I can either lug, but you know, back in the eighties, I had an eight-piece Tama drum set with a double bass drum. I can either lug that or I can lug one guitar and a, and a, and a combo amp. <laughs> so right. once I started moving around the gigs, I'm like, thank God I'm not a drummer. Anymore. Right. And then the sex, you're not carrying much around, I guess. These days? Yeah. Well, my thing is, the tricky thing is, like, I can't allow anyone to touch my horns. Okay. I can't, even though it's an available option. It's just such a personal thing. Yeah. That what I do, the way I travel is my stuff, my, my luggage, my, my road case, which is my instruments and my, uh, my personal stuff, which is also in Pelican cases just goes, it looks, it, it just looks like stacked army stuff. Like I have three, um, Pelican cases that go out with me. One has my saxophones and some other auxiliary stuff. And then for every gig, there's backline, you know, there's keyboards, there's every, everything set up for you, what you need. Right. Personal stuff, I mean, we have a tech who takes care of the basses and the guitars right. and the keyboard stuff, but my horns and my harmonicas and my flutes, nah, I That's can't. That's where you're literally swapping spit, so to speak. You know, it feels like it's a more intimate kind of thing. And a guitar is pretty intimate, but that seems more intimate. It is. I mean, pre-COVID, it's just like, I'm still not, you're, a sax player is never letting anyone play their saxophone. Right. A flute player, we would be able to swap off on that flute, just give a little, little wipe off. But, but like saxophone is one of those few instruments where you just can't let anybody out. You can't let anybody touch it. Well, if that thing hits the floor, you can't retune it. Right, 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 right. You know, it's yeah. so, you know, Mike, Mike mention this, this sax man story. What's that? What's when that? You, when oh. you called me for Rich's number to fix your horn? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it was a nightmare. I just got the first <laughs> night I got back from a Super Tramp tour last year. Uh, I do a lot of sax and DJ, like house music stuff, because it's just so much fun. Okay. And DJ, there's great interaction between the two of you. The, the crowd just feels it. Um, and I was over in Red Bank doing a gig with a really great DJ that I love, JP. And uh, this drunk girl got up. Two minutes I took to go pay. For two minutes the whole night, I put my sacks up on the deck right next to his turntables. No one's getting up there. No one. This is a 1955. <laughs> 1955 wow. Selmer Mark VI, like this horn is, you know, out of like the Indiana Jones archives. And uh, so I, and I come back and my horn is on the floor. My microphone case is everywhere. My horn's like dented and, and I'm just like, just some drunk girl tried to crawl up on the DJ booth. And when she was falling, she grabbed my saxophone. Oh my God. And that's the first night I got home. So it was just like, I called Joe. My repairman was, was 
not in the country. And, and I went over to Saxman's house and we had a hang like we always do. And, and he's a genius, man. He is a genius. <laughs> oh yeah. That's pretty cool. He can almost fix anything, Richie. It's amazing. For a hip replacement next time. <laughs> that is cool. So, so let me ask you this. Um, so what do you guys have going on? You know, we're hopefully slowly going to start exiting COVID. Um, what's next on each of your timelines? If you know. Well, we, I, I, I personally don't know, but we have a lot of private events and a lot of weddings got postponed. So, uh, you know, a lot of couples are calling me, you know, they're hoping for like August, a lot, a lot of our, even most of our July, August weddings have been moved. So it looks like to me, September, October, we will get really busy. And, and you're then, generally and, a well-booked guy, like a ridiculously well-booked guy, right? Yeah, we had like 52 weddings this year, which is more than I've ever done. I think the year before we did like 42. So I'm always a goal setter. And like, you know, I mean, I seem like a train wreck because I have a $400 guitar that I leave in my, my car, whether it's 40 below or 600 degrees and the thing never goes out. So I'm the, I'm the opposite of Mike. But as far <laughs> as when, when my goals are for like, you know, certain things with, business or the band or whatever, you know, because honestly, the bar scene's a little like, the bar scene's very like, you can be extremely booked one year and then the next year you're not booked at all. So okay. I realized that the future of private events was probably a better, you know, avenue for us to take. But um, yeah, I mean, I, ho I hope it opens up and we actually have an outdoor gig on the 20th at my friend Tim's house. It's, it's his wedding day. So we're going to do a trio in, in um, the yard. And then next year, Literally a year later, we'll do the actual wedding. Oh, very cool. And Mike, what do you have going on? Uh, our entire 2020 world tour that was sold out is canceled. Oh. So, you know what? That's great. I mean, it's not great, but it's completely fine because what it has, it's kind of figure out what's next. And what, what has happened is, gotten into all of these new relationships collaborating with different people and um i've got a new video coming out of a chapman thing that i just redid and i'm working on all the publishing to that right now but i'm very excited we're gonna have to talk because uh, <laughs> something nice and i think um i'm leaving this week for europe uh for recording uh with uh you ever heard of Pooh Bear? No. Uh, Jason, he is uh, Justin Bieber's main writer, and so his writing team. I was with these guys in Paris a few months ago, and we're finishing the sessions in Europe the next two. So we're gonna um, all meet up and fly over there this week and finish up two weeks of writing. And That's cool. And, and I'm finding a theme that. Everyone I talk to, including we had an actor, Alex Scooby on recently, their creative juices really, you know, like through the, through the pandemic, their creative juices are kind of invigorated, stretched in directions that maybe one wouldn't have planned on, but they benefited from. Well, I mean, think about, and this is for anyone in any vernacular of their life. What's the most common thing that, that adults say? I don't have time. Yeah, right. But man, I've been trying to paint that shed. Man, I've been trying to learn that language. 
man, I've been trying to do what, and fill in the blank of whatever you've been trying to do that you have no any artist. I've, I've been trying to record this song called Kindness for a year. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason why the song got recorded. <laughs> uh, you know, that was the most perfect segue. Uh, you know what I love? Oh, well, shows, time. I love the shows when we can't stop talking because they're a great <laughs> interesting. And it, you know, I, I shared a, uh, my goal is about a half hour for the uh, fireside chats. I don't know how long I'm looking at my computer. We've probably done about 45, 50 minutes. I could do two, I could do two hours with you guys. This was really nice. Thanks so much. Oh, yeah, thank you. a great time. Uh, this was absolutely fantastic. Um, um, so Joe, how do we find you? Give us your website. You can go to joebarricada.com. Spell it, and, please. Um, the song's gonna be on all the streaming outlets by the time this is aired. So I haven't really set that up. I've been focused on finishing it, getting that video done. Shout okay. out to my friend, Tim, that uh, helped put that together. And um, so that's how you can find me at joebarricada.com. On Instagram as Joe Barricada Band. And it's um, B-A-R-A, uh, B-A-R-A-C-A-T-A, right? Now, here, here's a tip for any young kids starting out the career. Make sure your name is pronounceable. That's probably, uh, I should have used my middle name. It wouldn't, no one can mess that up. That's funny. You know how many times we've, we've driven to gigs and on the sign it says Joe Bacadudo or it's, it's, it's almost like a, it's a, it's a comedy at this point. <laughs> Mike, how do we find you? Um, any bar in, in Red Bank. Okay. Whether you're playing or not, right? Website is absolutely uh, embarrassing. I've, I haven't updated it since um, and that might be a stretch because social media took over so what i started doing was just putting whatever dates i have online okay so and you're and it's michael uh vegan g-h-e-g-a-n right yes it's idish it's from county wicklow and it's uh it used to be mac gogagan and then when my my great grands came over um they chopped it down to G-H-E. So it's at Michael Geegan. Or there you go. So Instagram's at Michael Geegan. And Very good. Well, I wish you guys a great night. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. What a pleasure. Thank you, Counselor. Likewise. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Mike. Here's your glasses. We'll do a little toast. Cheers, guys. A little summer shanty there. All righty. Uh, you finished yours. Look at you. All right, yeah, it's up. all done. There we go. Good night. <laughs>